Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with your host, Dr. Anise Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about radiation oncology with Dr. Vikram Jairam. Dr. Jairam is an assistant professor of clinical therapeutic radiology at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology. Vikram, maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit more about yourself and what it is you do. Um, I have a somewhat generalist practice uh, treating a variety of diseases, uh, including uh, genital urinary, CNS, uh, gastrointestinal, um, skin, lymphoma, the occasional head and neck and lung, and I do see a fair number of palliative patients as well. Um, so yeah, that's uh, you know that's what I do and. Uh, uh, Research-wise or academically, um, I do have an interest uh, in exploring, um, you know, opioid use and opioid prescribing um, in cancer survivors. Okay. And so just for our audience, sometimes the terminology gets kind of confusing. Is therapeutic radiology the same thing as radiation oncology? Yeah, if, uh, you know, more or less it is the same. Um, you know, I'd say, uh, you know, those terms tend to be interchangeable with some departments, um, you know, being called radiation oncology. And um, our department, uh, you know, historically has been called therapeutic radiology because we do actually treat a number of benign or non-cancerous conditions as well. Um, it, they comprise the minority of our practice, but we do treat some non-cancerous conditions with radiation. Cool. And so, you know, one of the, the questions that I have is you mentioned that, you know, you finished your training a couple of years ago. That would have been right in the thick of the pandemic. So what was training like during the pandemic? And did that affect the care of patients who were coming to see a therapeutic radiologist for care? Yeah, it's a that's a great question. Um, you know, the pandemic um, occurred actually during my last couple years of training, um, and you know, I'd say it. You know, it cha it changed things in many different ways. Um, you know, we tried to figure out ways, you know, that we could stagger uh, our presence in the department in order to minimize as much exposure or contact. So we would kind of limit, um, you know, our presence to mostly clinical days, and on non-clinical days, we would uh, work from home. So. I guess from a uh, interaction standpoint, um, you know, the interactions with our colleagues and, um, you know, with other people in the department uh, kind of decreased in frequency. Uh, from a patient care standpoint, um, you know, we we did see a lot of patients uh, whose care ended up getting delayed um, or who may have been lost to follow up um, just because of the pandemic. And, you know, there were some patients who did come in with perhaps more advanced cancers than we would have normally seen, maybe because they had missed uh, screening uh, screening imaging or uh, other things that happened. So I would say those are the main ways that we would kind of see differences and challenges that we had to um, get through during the pandemic. Yeah. And, and did you find that, you know, in terms of, of the pandemic's impact on your practice, did it change kind of the way in which you delivered care? Uh, so I know, for example, 
for for us in in breast surgical oncology, we started to think more innovatively about well, can we use neoadjuvant endocrine therapy? So, for example, can we think about ways of you know getting people through their care, um, but but keeping them out of the hospital as much as possible? Um, with radiation oncology, did that play a role? Did you start thinking about how you could deliver the dose that you needed to deliver, perhaps in a shorter period of time, or or using more of those um, those uh, resources outside of the main hospital, uh, where people might have had less exposure to COVID? Yes, so that's a great question, and um, that is exactly um, you know what happens. So um, you know, as a correlate to um, some of the breast uh, experience that you had been mentioning, you know, just as an example, you know, some of our uh, prostate patients, um, you know, might have gotten started on hormone therapy, uh, you know, for a period of time, uh, and then you know they would come in a little bit much later, probably to start their radiation. And then in terms of the radiation component itself, um, you know, there were many different publications and there was kind of a push uh, to seek, uh, you know, ways that we could deliver radiation in fewer number of fractions and, um, you know, perhaps more single fraction or, you know, minimal number of fractions for patients who are being palliatively treated with bone metastases, as an example, um, or ways that uh, even in the more definitive setting, uh, increasing our utilization of techniques like stereotactic uh, body radiation therapy or hypofractionated uh, radiation therapy, which are both terms uh, to uh, indicate uh, a lower number of fractions and a higher dose per fraction. Um, in order to, uh, you know, effectively treat the patient um, and also increase convenience and minimize the number of uh, trips and hospital exposure that these patients have to come through. And so, you know, one of the things that you mentioned is that you work at a couple of locations um, that are, you know, not at the main campus at Yale. Um, so you work more in a community kind of setting. For for our listeners who who are are listening to this this show, you know, when is it okay to get your radiation therapy closer to home at, at a at a, a a location that may not be at a large academic center in in the in the middle of a city, uh, but maybe on the outskirts or or in a community? Is there a difference in the radiation that you can um, receive in in the different settings, and is are there reasons why you might want to be at the main? center versus at a peripheral center or vice versa? Yeah, uh, also a great question. So, you know, I'd say the vast majority of indications uh, for radiation therapy, you know, can be delivered effectively uh, in a community setting. And one of the benefits of, you know, being part of a community practice that's also connected to the main campus is that, you know, I can determine uh, and have a discussion with the patient uh, as to, you know, if there are more nuanced uh, or more complex treatments that may require treatment in the main campus, I can have that discussion with the patient. But for the vast majority of indications, um, you know, patients can be treated safely and effectively in the community. Um, and that's something that uh, is truly a joy to see um, because, you know, for the vast majority of uh, people, radiation ends up uh, being 
weeks, uh, you know, of their lives and, um, the, you know, convenience and, you know, even finances of having to come down to New Haven or the main campus and, uh, can be sometimes, uh, difficult, uh, or challenging for patients. So, uh, I'd say the vast majority of indications, uh, we can treat, uh, in the community. Um, there may be certain uh, more nuanced or complex uh, indications that we can treat in the main campus, but we have a active open line with the main campus, which is phenomenal. And so I can always get patients in there if needed. Great. So tell us a little bit more about what drew you to radiation oncology as a field. I mean, why why do people get drawn into radiation oncology? It seems like it's quite a, a niche kind of area. Yeah. So I'd say radiation oncology has a lot of unique features um, associated with it. Uh, I think, you know, one thing that I really enjoyed uh, was you really got the opportunity to um, treat patients uh, in a variety of different disease sites uh, from head to toe, um, which is something you can get in other fields as well. Uh, But I really liked just the variation in what you can do uh, in radiation oncology. So, um, you have a lot of different tools at your disposal. Um, you, you can treat patients with external beam radiation. Uh, you can treat patients with brachytherapy. You can treat patients with a combination of both. Um, and there, as we kind of alluded to earlier on, there are various different fractionation regimens. You know, you can treat patients, um, you know, conventionally fractionated, um, or you can treat patients with hypofractionated. And I think the coolest thing for me uh, is that you can carve and shape the radiation dose um, as best as you can um, and in order to avoid normal tissues. And you can kind of construct a really neat radiation plan that maximizes uh, dose to the tumor and minimizes dose to uh, the surrounding tissues. And I find the process of that treatment planning just very fascinating. Um, as a aside, from a patient care standpoint, uh, you develop really, really solid connections uh, with your patients. You know, we tend to book you know hour long consults in order to you know discuss the nuances and different um, aspects of radiation treatment planning. And you know, a lot of patients really enjoy uh, the amount of time they get to spend with their radiation oncologist and vice versa as well. Um, and you get to follow them for, you know, long periods of time and establish really, um, really great relationships. So um, from a technical standpoint, I think it's fascinating. Um, and then from a patient care standpoint, um, it's really rewarding. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you mentioned in terms of the technical aspect is this idea of targeting the dose to the tumor and minimizing exposure to normal tissues. And so that brings up the idea of it sounds like that's really how you try to minimize the side effects of radiation. So can you talk a little bit more about what side effects of radiation therapy people might expect and um, how prevalent those side effects are? Yeah. Um, So, you know, the side effects from radiation therapy are very, you know, because it's a local treatment, uh, the side effects are very dependent on where 
the patient is getting radiation. And so, you know, I'd say the most common thing that we see across all disease sites is probably fatigue. Um, and, you know, these side effects tend to be cumulative during the course of their radiation. So, um, you know, patients during the first couple of weeks uh, may not notice much, um, but, you know, towards the end of their radiation course, uh, you know, that's when some of these peak side effects uh, may occur. And, um, you know, I'd say for some patients, they may peak, you know, one to two weeks after radiation is done. Um, and that's something that I do like to counsel patients about, um, you know, to expect that sometimes these side effects uh, may be kind of delayed, uh, you know, once their radiation is finished. Um, so, you know, just to give an example, um, you know, I treat a lot of uh, prostate uh, cancer. And so, you know, the hallmark of side effects uh, from prostate tend to be, um, you know, genitourinary, um, you know, bowel side effects or rectal side effects and uh, sexual fun uh, function as well. So, um, you know, I'd say it's uh, it's one of those things where a lot of it depends on the surrounding organs at risk uh, or the tissues that are around the area that you're treating. So we're going to pick up the conversation talking about how we manage those side effects, maybe prevent them and certainly treat them in terms of improving people's quality of life as they go through survivorship after radiation therapy. Right after we take a short break for a medical minute, please stay tuned to learn more with my guest, Dr. Vikram Jairam. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers comes from Smilo Cancer Hospital, where the gynecologic oncology program brings together a team of clinicians whose focus is to care for women with gynecologic cancers. Learn more at YaleCancerCenter.org slash G-Y-N-O-N-C. It's estimated that over 240,000 men in the U.S. will be diagnosed with prostate cancer this year, with over 3,000 new cases being identified here in Connecticut. One in eight American men will develop prostate cancer in the course of his lifetime. Major advances in the detection and treatment of prostate cancer have dramatically decreased the number of men who die from the disease. Screening can be performed quickly and easily in a physician's office using two simple tests, a physical exam and a blood test. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center and its Milo Cancer Hospital, where doctors are also using the Artemis machine, which enables targeted biopsies to be performed. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Vikram Jaira. We're talking about radiation therapy for patients. And right before the break, Vikram, you were telling us about some of the side effects of radiation therapy. And one of the things that really drew you to the field was the fact that you can minimize those those side effects um, by, you know, the technical aspects of planning the radiation. You mentioned that a lot of the side effects tend to be local. So in terms of prostate cancer, that there might be side effects from, you know, bowel function, sexual function, genitourinary function, simply because of the structures that are in that area, regardless of how much you really try to target the tumor itself. So can you talk a little bit more about that and, you know, when people should expect those side effects, what side effects they should expect, and what do you do about that? I mean, 
it seems to me that if the side effects were really ubiquitous and really terrible, the risk might outweigh the benefit. But it sounds to me that you have ways of dealing with all of that. Is that right? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think one of the most important aspects of uh, managing side effects actually starts, you know, before the patient actually undergoes treatment. Um, and it's in the treatment planning phase. Um, and, you know, much of that is in the designing of the radiation plan. So, you know, when we design a radiation plan, uh, we're you know, looking at ways that we can maximize dose to the uh, prescription or target volume uh, that is designated by the radiation oncologist. And we're trying to minimize ways uh, uh, or minimize uh, radiation dose to the surrounding tissues. And uh, we work with uh, dosimetrists and physicists in our department who are trained and really expert at uh, making these radiation plans uh, in order to to, uh, achieve the goals that we set forth. Um, you know, some of the uh, radiation dose that goes to normal tissues, you know, that's been studied and validated uh, in multiple clinical studies as to what dose correlates with what side effects. And, you know, based on these studies, we have certain thresholds um, that we try not to exceed uh, during our radiation planning. Uh, and so with the help of our dosimetrists and physicists, we can usually achieve a radiation plan that's acceptable and that really, um, you know, achieves the overall goal of what we're trying to do. And so despite your best efforts, my presumption is that some people still get side effects. Is that right? Absolutely. And, you know, side effects are uh, to be expected. And, you know, this is part of the conversation that we have during our patients or during our consults uh, with patients that, you know, side effects are to be expected. Uh, and, you know, we try and manage that depending on, you know, the severity of side effects. Um, and much of that is very patient dependent. So, Let's take prostate, for example. Um, much of, you know, a patient's baseline urinary function or bowel function or sexual function may determine the severity of side effects that they receive during radiation therapy. Uh, and so being able to uh, manage expectations uh, as well as manage the side effects is really important um, in order to, you know, get patients through uh, their course of radiation. What kinds of things would you suggest for patients who have either local side effects, like you mentioned, or fatigue, which was another side effect that you mentioned was nearly ubiquitous among uh, patients who have radiation therapy? During treatment, patients meet with their radiation oncologist once a week, uh, just as a check-in. Uh, we call them on-treatment visits. And, you know, I definitely encourage patients to discuss any side effects that they experience with uh, their physician uh, during these on-treatment visits. So, as an example, you know, one of the most common side effects that I tend to hear um, is, you know, urinary frequency or uh, irritable uh, urination symptoms. And so, you know, that's important for me to hear because that is something that is manageable uh, with medication, uh, a variety of different medications. From uh, a more systemic standpoint, I know you also mentioned fatigue. Fatigue can be challenging. Um, I'm not going to lie. And, you know, during radiation, uh, you know, what I say is, 
to try and, you know, not overexert oneself, um, to listen to your body as much as possible. Um, because fatigue is cumulative. And uh, I, I don't like, uh, you know, having uh, people kind of overexert themselves uh, during treatment. Um, once radiation is completed, uh, you know, I think there is good data that shows that exercise can help, um, you know, overcome fatigue and especially in prostate patients who may be getting hormone therapy as well, uh, which may also uh, add to the fatigue. Um, exercise is something that uh, has been shown to actually increase the metabolic rate and uh, improve overall um, general function uh, for a lot of patients. So uh, it is something that I discuss with them, but you know, we kind of save that till uh, after they're finished with their radiation. Now, one thing that you mentioned um, at the top of the show was that your research interests really um, revolve, at least in part, around the use of opioids. You didn't really mention too much about radiation-induced pain. Can you talk about um, pain um, as a factor that happens after radiation therapy, how frequently that happens, and how often you need to use opioids in that setting? I'd say radiation-induced pain uh, is something that can happen. It's not a common side effect, but it really depends on what you're treating. Um, so, you know, if you're treating an area where there's bone or rib uh, or chest wall, you know, generally with conventionally fractionated radiation, rib pain is not a common side effect. Um, however, when you're going to higher doses or more stereotactic uh, body radiation, rib pain is something that can happen uh, if there is chest wall. For example, if you're treating a lung uh, uh, cancer and there's chest wall around that area, or if you're treating um, a cancer that has spread to the bone and uh, you're actually treating that bone itself uh, with palliative radiation, sometimes radi uh, patients can experience what we call an inflammatory reaction. Um, and, you know, the most, most of these inflammatory reactions when patients have rib pain or, you know, bone pain from radiation, they tend to be self-limiting. Um, and so, you know, because of that nature, we do talk about uh, treatment conservatively with over-the-counter pain medications first, um, sometimes more topical, you know, lidocaine patches or creams. And if you know, these pain, if this pain kind of persists over a longer period of time, then, you know, there's a discussion about opioids or narcotics for management. And so it sounds like opioids are really kind of the, the last resort. Is that right? So I, I would say for, you know, uh, if, we, if we've exhausted all other measures, then certainly. However, um, you know, if a patient is having pretty uh, excruciating pain for whatever reason, if it's from the cancer itself or from another cause, uh you know, the NCCN does mention that for moderate to severe pain, that's on a scale uh, that's a four out of 10, uh, at least, um, opioids are the mainstay of treatment. So, you know, while I would start with conservative over-the-counter measures, I would have a lower threshold um, for starting patients on opioids um, if they are experiencing more moderate to severe pain. Do patients ever ask you about 
you know, concern over getting addicted to opioids, especially given all of the hype about the opioid epidemic? Yes. So that's one of the more common, um, you know, concerns that patients bring up, Uh, you know, either, you know, patients may not like the feeling of being on an opioid, which is one thing and certainly very fair, um, or just the concerns about, you know, being addicted um, because, you know, many patients are opioid naive and have never taken pain medications that are this strong. And, you know, we have actually, our group has actually um, published data and has looked into this. um, And, you know, we've found that while most patients with cancer may actually use uh, or be prescribed higher doses of opioids compared to non-cancer patients, Um, the rates of misuse or addiction are actually fairly low and not too dissimilar uh, from the general population. And so, I do try and reassure patients that, you know, if they do have pain, that, you know, we do want, we do uh, want them to be treated for that pain and to not worry both for physicians and patients uh, about the idea of addiction. Not, you know, that's not to say that we shouldn't, that we should forget about it, but more that, you know, cancer related pain is something that should be treated and um, we shouldn't undertreat patients due to worry of addiction, as the data has not quite shown that there are higher rates compared to the normal population. Yeah. One of the other questions, speaking about cancer-related pain, um, is that for some patients, we actually treat cancer-related pain with radiation. Um mm-hmm. And in other circumstances, we talk about radiation, as as we talked about just now, potentially having a side effect of of pain. So can can you talk about that kind of dichotomy? Yes. So, um, you know, these are two separate processes um, and two different uh, indications as as far as the, um, you know, radiation induced pain. um, You know, we think of that as more of a acute inflammatory reaction uh, that tends to be self-limiting. So when we're treating patients with, uh, you know, cancer that's spread to the bone, usually I'd say about a third of patients may experience some kind of acute inflammatory reaction. Um, And, uh, and it's, we call it a pain crisis. And, um, you know, generally these tend to resolve within a couple weeks. Now for the second aspect or cancer that's actually spread to the bone, that's causing pain, radiation can actually, uh, be used to shrink that, uh, spot or that spot that's in the bone and reduce some of that effect uh, or compression uh, on the bone that the cancer is causing. And so more long term, uh, you know, we can expect patients to be uh, more pain free or have reduced amounts of pain. And one of the nicest things that uh, I love about radiation is that patients may come in who are on opioids or pain medications, and uh, we may be able to treat them uh, with a metastatic bone lesion using radiation. And, you know, a month or two months later, they may not need opioids anymore, or they may need significantly less opioids. And that's always satisfying, uh, you know, to see. 
Yeah. So certainly when we think about quality of life of patients, it sounds like radiation therapy can certainly play a role in in ameliorating that. Um, talk a little bit more about kind of where you see radiation therapy going long term in terms of the care of patients with cancer. Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the uh, more exciting aspects uh, that, you know, we have uh, people in our department working on is, uh, you know, combination of radiation and other systemic therapy agents. So, you know, one thing that we're trying to explore the interaction with is radiation and immunotherapy to see if radiation can kind of um, energize the immune response to better attack cancer cells. And that's currently being explored in trials um, and, uh, you know, other aspects like DNA damaging agents are kind of uh, being seen whether they can work in conjunction with radiation uh, in a synergistic manner. So, you know, I think um, the future really uh, is kind of looking at radiation with some of these novel agents and seeing if we can combine them in a um, more synergistic way. Dr. Vikram Jairam is an assistant professor of clinical therapeutic radiology at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital.